such an honor to bring back a cat who the more I've uh, learned about his craft, um, you know, just sort of the impressive nature of, you know, carving your own lineage and being able to sing for your supper, doing it really hard in this day and age, especially in the creative arts. So uh, I just feel like his voice is a much needed at this time for other cats who might be feeling discouraged because for all of us, we're all kind of scrambled eggs. Zachariah O'Hora, welcome back to the Jake Feinberg show. Oh, thanks for having me, man. Pleasure. You know, it's great to hear you, man. I just kind of wanted you to talk about, um, like, sometimes in baseball they'll say, uh, you know, a batter's slumping and they haven't had a hit in a while, and they'll say, let them let hit their way out of the slump, like play through it. And yeah. I just wonder, when you're in a creative sort of uh, uh, ebb, uh, how do you break yourself out of it? Um, what are some techniques, or are you more organic and just sort of when the muse comes – it hits you? Uh, that is a perennial question. Um, you know, everyone hits hits those blocks, and I think you just have to find ways to recharge. You, you can't be creative all the time. Like, right. maybe, maybe there's some amazing, you know, maybe John Coltrane or somebody, like, you know, there's, there's people that can maybe be, you know, uh, all the time they could be creating things and coming up with new stuff. But I think the average human needs to, you know, re-up your battery. Recalibrate. I mean, can you talk about some ways that you do that? I mean, is it, are you someone that needs a lot of space or is it, is the opportunity to be with your family an opportunity to decompress? Uh, I mean, sometimes actually being with family is a good way to decompress because it just switches your mind to other things. But uh, for that kind of stuff, like, I need to be inside my own head. I need to, like, you know, do some forest bathing. Like, every day, <laughs> I hike yeah. my dog through the woods, and we, you know. Waffles. Waffles, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the That's it. Unreal, um, man. Yeah, well, you know, we'll forage for mushrooms. Maybe I'll listen to a podcast while I'm cruising around, or maybe, a you know, a dead show or something like that. Have a little gummy, and just enough to kind of have a little appreciation for the day and a lot of times that helps loosen things up Sakurai you know you said last time um that uh you, you know you were driving a lot of cats uh, a lot of jazzers in the 90s oh, yeah. you're, you're touring that and like I remember a story about um uh about like Dizzy Gillespie <clears throat> wound up on the same bill as Jefferson's Air, uh, Starship and he was like hitting on Grace Slick in the backstage. And I, and I'm like, I was thinking today, I'm like, you know, did you, did you um, work with like, uh, like blues cats or, or rocks, rock cats? Like, did you ever wind up not with, not with Elvin or McCoy per se, but you know, maybe like yeah. somebody from the rock world. Um, I, I was doing some, um, there's a club in um, North beach called uh, Bimbo's 365 club. And the same person that, handled security for the jazz fest she also did security around town for different shows so i would fill in do security there um and a lot of those were rock shows um not always shows that i was really into but i was working but uh some of the standout ones like we were one of the first shows for alvin lee when he got out of prison of love um, oh wow let's talk about that yeah, it was quite. A I mean, night. I know you were working. I mean, you were you were working, yeah. but I know you're still grooving the music. Oh, for sure. I couldn't wait. His, <laughs> his band was super tight. It was. I couldn't believe it was happening, and I was working it. Um, and it was a super packed out, sold out show, rowdy crowd. And for whatever reason, um, I got selected to sort of like manage Alvin Lee. Or I'm not sorry. Not am I saying Arthur Lee? I'm sorry. Not. Not Alvin Lee. Uh, Arthur, Arthur Lee and Lo yeah, from Love. Yes. Yeah, that great yes. band. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I said Alvin Lee. I meant Arthur Lee. Um, and he had just done a stint, you know, upstate or whatever, and was out. And um, it was it was somehow it ended up being my job to get him to the stage to play in time. And because no one was uh, able to get him on it. He had a limo, a rented limo out in front of, like literally right out in front of the ticket office. Right. Place, you know, with tinted windows, like a, you can imagine like a early 90s 
you know, a white stretch limo with tinted windows. It totally did. And um, nobody, like everybody from the club was trying to like get him out of there. So he would do sound check. He skipped sound check. And he was in there with, you know, a couple special lady friends, you know, and obviously having a good time in there. And um, <laughs> so I got sent out and there was a little alleyway next to bimbos that would go from the green room to uh, out front and a huge line of people all the way around the block and you know sold out show people were filing into the show and as it gets to showtime everyone is visibly nervous that he's gonna is he gonna show up or not so somehow i got selected to go and try to pull him out of the limo and so i kept knocking <laughs> on the window and, and finally the window like rolls down halfway and like you know he's in full regalia he's got like you know the black uh like handkerchief wow. Wow. tied around his head with like skulls on it and like a cowboy hat and sunglasses it's nighttime to you know um you know uh attractive enough women with like fake fur coats and you know not much else on next to him like like the quintessential scene of like a a rock star that you want to imagine that their life is all the way. Exactly. It was happening. And I think he was drinking like a bottle of like Chivas or something, just straight out of the bottle. <laughs> and I had to tell him like, we, we got to go to the stage and it, it's a little bit back and forth. And, you know, he's like, okay. And he, he makes his way out of the limo. And I, I try to guide him back up this little side alleyway back to the green room. And, you know, so he'd come up on stage, but he insisted on going through the front door of the club <laughs> oh, and wow. you know with a girl on either arm oh my god full bottle in one hand smoking this is bravado man bravado it was the real deal show <laughs> and so, you, so, so you know, go ahead continue yeah please i mean so you wasn't your job done at that point no, I I, have, I was supposed to make sure that he actually got up on stage. Oh, my God. And All I, right. Yeah. I, I think this might have been an actual, like, hour after the show was, was supposed to start where they were supposed to come on board. So, like, oh crowds really, yeah. ran, you know, they were wild for it already. And then, you know, there was a delay. They were horny for it, man. Holy definitely, shit. Definitely. Holy shit. So, he, he decided he wanted to walk through the front door and not the side way. So I had to sort of like clear a path of people for him to walk through. And he's like high-fiving people. And some people are like, uh, kind of, like there was like people spitting on him and him spitting back at them. Hmm. And then there was just people who were just like, fuck you, <laughs> Arthur. And he'd be like, fuck you. And I, you couldn't tell if he knew them or like there was something going on there. And I had to like push people off of him a few times and like kept, you know, we went all the way through, like, past the coat check into, like, the main room where the show was to happen. The farthest corner from the stage possible, past two bars. Everyone's just going crazy. And we have to push through and, like, go through the entire crowd all the way up to the front of the stage, the far left of the stage, and then get up and, you know, so you could at least go to the green room for a second. And that took, I mean, that took me, like, really actively trying to do that. It took, like, 40 minutes. It was So we're already, like, almost two hours after show. So we're, like, two oh hours. Oh, my God. Dude, I would have to be There's a cart me out of there, man. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, he went backstage and, like, you know, got another drink and, like, lit up a joint and then walked up on stage. And then they just, you know, he kind of said a few more things to the crowd. The crowd went crazy. He was very being very antagonistic with the crowd. Like I can't remember exactly what he was saying, but it was it was a it seemed like a punk show. You know, it was kind of like "fuck you" from the stage, and people being like "fuck you." But right. it wasn't it was antagonistic, but also it was like aggressive love at the same time. I have to think. I mean, this is pure speculation, but number one, it's his first show, comeback show after coming out of incarceration, where that's pretty much. Yeah the scene every night i mean it's carnage and sure. whether they're having boxing matches or whatever there's going on it's raw fuck you means yeah. great I'm, i love you and yeah. then uh and then like i gotta figure that cats in the crowd were probably some of his closest and in quotes friends you I know and was, you, yeah. you know like you know what i'm saying like so like i i mean yeah. mazel now this is really important it, it was it's so beautiful you were able to really split that uh the heavens there and opened me up because I've done so much woodshedding 
it's such an honor, and I'm so glad that you said about Bimbo's 365. Oh yeah, because uh, because I've done so much woodshedding with cats that did strip couple gigs with Carol Dota's Club, Bimbo. So uh-huh. I'm the floor is yours. Yeah. I don't think we we hit, touched on this. The, no, you're telling me North Beach was still intact in the early 90s. It was, but it was, this wasn't a strip joint. It was like um, an Italian guy whose nickname was uh, Bimbo took over. And it was like a really nice nightclub, like, you know, Velvet. Really? All that. Really? And it, it had a bar that had sort of a um, a gimmick of um, these uh, this sort of mirror contraption that, like, would reflect into a fishbowl that was built into the back of the bar. Yeah. And, and underneath, there was a woman dressed as a mermaid. And she was like pretending to swim on this like disc, and they would spin her around. So, it oh looked, my it god, sort of looked like, you know, if you had that's not drink, a gimmick, dude. I'm getting off on that. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but that was like kind of like what it was uh, infamous for. Um, really, I, I thought it was like I thought it was because I mean, cats in North Beach. I mean, again, this yeah. is going back to the yeah you know, early '70s, but they were playing 20 minute versions of Milestones, and the, and the dancers sure. would be you know hitting their moves, but what was were you was that a part of town that so the rock the rock concerts were sort of up in north beach kind of area for the uh, ones i mean some of them were they were at this club but this is sort of away from that whole strip of um you know strip joints in north beach this is like kind of going further towards like um fisherman's wharf kind of like right. um you know a little farther down uh columbus uh ab i think you know going down towards um you know ghirardelli square or whatever so it was a little away from there and it was always a like a it seemed like a rat pack nightclub it was more that vibe it, it, it wasn't like a strip joint it wasn't like carol dota's uh talking about uh right talking about yeah. maf- mafia right it felt more like that i don't know if yeah. it was but yeah no you're probably spot on i mean there was that was <laughs> still controlled at that time by uh so you um you know i wanted to ask you about uh the idea of have you written anything or designed graphic uh graphics for books uh, pictures yeah. for books on uh when you uh on psychedelics uh you know what just recently um i started a a series of uh, picture books for kids um, that uh, LSD is sort of like the secret ingredient of all. Beautiful. Of them. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, I'm working on one right now. Um, it should be out next year. Right now, it's called Whale Song, but uh, it's really it's a, it's the story of Paul Horn, uh, you know, communicating with the killer whales up in uh, Victoria. Uh, BC, if you know that story at all. Um, uh, yeah, but listen, this is not. This is about you telling the audience. It's not about Jake Feinberg, but I, I need to hear about the whale. <laughs> I'm song. sure you do know. No, no, I no, I do not know. No, no, no. Please, uh, the floor is yours, man. Because I mean, Paul Horn, Steve Roach, who's a guru of mine, is your oh, friends yeah. was very close with him before he died, and I know, yeah. and all the, the but, but yeah, please. Uh, he he communicated with the killer whales. Yeah. Um. So the story is uh, Paul Horn is a jazz musician from the 50s and 60s. He plays multiple instruments, but most well-known for playing flute and most well-known for playing uh, Inside the Taj Mahal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a famous record called Inside and all, obviously uh, Inside the, the Great Pyramid. And sometimes some people call him the grandfather of new age music. It's kind of hard to pin down what that really means, but... I mean, he's definitely a spiritual explorer and like, you know, he kind of hit hit the wall with the jazz life of, you know, sex, drugs and jazz, you know. And, I love uh, it. And no, hold on. I want to ask you something. Out. This is really important, yeah. though. The, the, I actually think it makes per- – I, I, although I can't articulate it, I'm hoping you can go a little bit deeper on why people use the term grandfather of new, new age music. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't – well – not that you agree with it or I'm just saying like there, yeah. he was, he was the most burning. I mean, Miles, yeah. da- Miles Davis said, Paul Horn plays the horn the way it's supposed to be played. You know, yeah. like, oh, yeah. dude, I mean like, and then like you said, he like, he went into the, you know, Maharishi, yeah. Beatles, yeah. but that, where was the new, where's the, how was he the grandfather of new age? Well, I, I think, uh, where he where he got there in his musical journey is what you're talking about where he was he was hanging out with maharishi like before the beatles right. 
he met the Beatles there and he was hanging out with um uh you know Donovan I think was down there and I, I think there was some connection where he toured with Donovan like as part of his band and then really I don't know if that was before or after Maharishi so don't quote me on that but there was a definite connection there hold on I want to ask you a question he he yeah. was hanging before the first retreat with in India he was hanging yeah. Maharishi in the states before the Beatles I'm pretty sure that's how, or at least he, he was at the ashram in India with the absolutely. Maharishi that's the original one. Before, yeah. yeah. Before the Beatles were there and he was there when the Beatles showed up basically. And like, then he, yeah, this up. is, so he was like, he went out into psychedelia English, like with Donovan and shit. Yeah. 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 He's the, early on there, you know? Um, and I, so out of that, you know, he was traveling around India and he was just by himself with a, uh, you know, just with a flute. And he visited the Taj Mahal and he realized that like the Taj Mahal has something like a, um, I don't remember if it's nine seconds or 15 seconds. It's a ridiculously long echo chamber, like natural echo chamber that it is. So he just pulled out his flute when they were closing and started to play and was recording it with like one of those little, uh, you know, Tascam. Or, Absolutely. Tascam. Or whatever. Yep. yep. And the guard there kind of let him do it. And the guards started singing along for parts of it. And you can hear that in the recording. So he's just basically like playing flute and playing off the echo in this, you know, this kind of amazing space. Um, and the recording of it, he didn't intend it to be the actual record. But, uh, you know, when record execs heard it and they were like, we're going to release it like it is. So it's a pretty raw recording, but, you know, it's not a full jazz band. It's not, you know, it's not the usual routine. It, it's much more, you know, wide open and right, um, right. You know, ethereal or whatever. So and that became such a big hit so early on that that's why he got that moniker of like sort of create like Steve Halpern and guys like that were influenced by it. So there were other major wow, dude i'm artists. loving this dude zachariah Orr on fire right now dude <laughs> so no it's true he predated that's right he predated yeah. halper he, halper yeah. halper yeah. was like he he was cutting a lot of records but yeah. that 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 trip inside the pyramids uh, was inside the taj mahal and taj mahal and the pyramids yeah, yeah right yeah was the pyramids also a very sparse? There was no band in there, was there? And same same deal. Like he same crawled deal. up into the king chamber and recorded it with you know. I he actually mentioned that this. he felt like you know presences in there and stuff. Like it was heavy stuff. You know, it's funny. Just yeah, that's. I mean, so going back to this sort of um, in in the hopper uh, whale song. Yeah. Um, so, can you just? I mean, I wanted you to talk about what, regardless of how it's portrayed in mainstream culture or uh you know i mean the truth is this that uh i'm not going to sit here and like advocate for people to eat, eat psychedelics or psilocybin or things like that yeah. but so yeah. I, I from the creative point of view just yeah. sort of that intermeshing that ability to, to synthesize things uh and fuse sort of things that come together i, I was wondering why you feel it's a the secret ingredient well i I'll, I'll get to why it actually is in this book series, but I mean, for me, um, having a lot of experiences with psilocybin and um, psilocybin and LS, like good LSD back in the early 90s and catching the tail end of the dead and all that stuff, um, yeah. uh, it wasn't all fun for me. Like, I definitely, uh, you know, I grew up in a very like fundamentalist Christian, born again, culty kind of upbringing. And it was very key and sort of like, breaking myself down to figure out, you know, what I believed or what I didn't believe or, you know, along with, you know, sort of um, creative insights into like what it means to be human. But I'm still, it's been many years since I've done anything like that, you know, decades, but I still think about it on a daily basis as far, like it informs kind of everything I do and sort of like my outlook on life. Like it's always something I'm sort of meditating on as a uh, human experience. If that makes wow. sense. No, I mean, well, I mean, so in the, in the, when, it, when you say what it means to be human, uh, yeah. like, uh, in the previous time, I mean, you know, like I didn't, I cannot, I don't think I would have survived the cult, but what, what did it mean to be human in the cult? 
You mean the cult that I grew up with? Yeah, but what I'm saying uh, is, like, that's where it's like you're starting figuring out, you know, yeah. like I'm looking at your your JPEG picture on on the on the call, and it's like, you know, yeah. this like beautiful lion with a beat, you know, the big fuzzy beard. It's like, yeah. and I just I just wonder, like, like ultimately, was there a defining moment? Was it at a dead show where you were like, there was something where you needed to take ownership of your own existence and what it means to be Zachariah Horror? I mean, that was always there, even, even as a kid. You know, I was definitely uh, looking for all that stuff. But uh, I mean, there was definitely dead show moments. But I think I think a lot of the, more of the moments were sort of like uh, acid experiences that were just at, at home with my roommates, uh, you know, listening to dead shows and listening to other music and, uh, you know, just kind of taking in the whole thing and having a lot of intention about it, like, Yes, yes, sometimes it was a party, but no, absolutely. Time, I, I was gonna say, I go yeah, ahead. Most of the time, it was you know, all the intention was there. Like, if I was if I was gonna do mushrooms on a Saturday, you know, I might, you know, I was gonna fast Thursday and Friday and not eat until I, after I took the mushrooms on Saturday, or like there was a lot of intention to sort of like take journeys to sort of you know maybe gain some knowledge or at least uh, experience or just have an adventure um, that you could, you know, when you came back from it, you know, you could, you could sort of process over time and, and uh, figure out what that, what that meant for your art. And then, you know, also try to, I don't know, just try to describe it. Um, that, that was sort of always the purpose of it in a way uh, more than, more than just like, let's have a party and go to a rave and have a good time and see some colors. Like it, it was much more than that. What uh, was the, I mean, I never saw the dead and, uh, but I know like I would have been like Garcia's real, I'm really inside Garcia's head. Like I can feel what he's playing. Like, did, did you have like, did you have like, uh, can you talk about one of those classic dead moments, regardless of whether it was cathartic yeah. or not? It was just like, to me, it's just, it, it was so innocent and raw and almost like skiffle music, you know, it was, yeah. it was like high grade, yeah. punk, you know, that kind of stuff. And even though that wasn't my favorite era, in fact, I've sure. listened to very, very little of it, but still. It's not uh, great, but it has moments. I, think, I was just saying, like, tell me, tell me, tell me a classic, uh, you know, where you, where you, uh, you had a spiritual discharge. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of those, but um, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know what? It wasn't the greatest era for the dead because we're talking like, you know, 93 to 95 was when I was really going to shows and, you know, Jerry was not in great shape. And there was a lot of it was a high era of like real paranoia where like narcs were everywhere and people were going to jail for acid bus for the life. And, um, you know, it was just like a lot of weirdness. And, you know, that whole scene had gotten really dark and kind of built out into mm, a lot of hurt. people that's that hard. Were, part of the scene that really weren't going into the show you know that like all that kind of stuff um but i a, a really good moment i saw jerry a handful of times at um uh, the warfield in san francisco when i lived there like uh you know he played there all the time and to see him play uh with that band without all of the um you know everything else that came with the dead and like the responsibility and you know how many paychecks you're putting out and that you know sort of the, the scale of it the scope of it when he was playing you know just with jerry band he's just doing covers and he's just having a good time and, and he's being like sort of his truest self and i i had a moment um and i you know i definitely probably took some liquid or it might have been mushrooms but um where one night when he came out and um i think they were doing cats under the stars maybe and like the white light just shining on his white face and his beard. And I was right up at the stage, just sort of like leaning against the stage, like looking up and he had his black t-shirt on, of course. And it was like the, the heaviest love vibe. that was like, it was like he was purring. It was like coming directly at me, like a reverse. Right. Right. Um, it was so oh, like, just profound like i couldn't actually stand in it too long but it was like <laughs> it was just this amazing. is unreal yeah. man yeah yeah it, it really i really it were like whoa, whoa. uh and it just whoa. seemed it, it it was like it was like the disappearing cat in uh in alice in wonderland just like mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I, that was one no, of the I just want to say, like, that, that I mean, what, like, that was, uh, to me, like, you could be inundated with as much dogma as you want, whether yeah. as a kid or, or, and buy into it or not. And then yeah. that just sort of the truth revealed itself to you right there, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, it was definitely. But it almost uh, took, it, it, I think just going back to the secret ingredient, it yeah. took, it took the, the psychedelia to put you in a vulnerable enough state to be in the light, you know? I mean, Garcia was in yeah. the light, you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how to say it other, any other way, you know? No, I, that's, a, that's, a, I think that's a real, real well put way to say it. No, I, that was definitely it. Like I, I, I was able to let go a lot of, um, you know, my sort of East coast hangups and, you know, not all at once, but it, it the whole, that ex, all overall experience, like allowed me to sort of be a more honest person with myself and like my, projection of myself to the world was you know uh at least intentionally more honest um so you know it was important for all those kind of areas of growth basically um, Power, i think in the first in the first 27 minutes of this that was the, uh, the most profound thing that you said man i i i mean living in tucson i mean you yeah. still live on the east coast but you know yeah, like yeah. well now i do yeah <laughs> not yet but i mean like um <clears throat> what i don't even want to get into that i want this is what i want to talk about is is <laughs> the, the, dude the narc thing is still going on man. yeah 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 you know it's That's a buzzkill man like i mean there were yeah. i heard that in 80, 84 84 there were that was early reagan was getting his teeth into us and he uh yeah. he put he put the narcs out in 84 you know midwest yeah. tour iowa michigan yeah. but um you know for me uh, back at Boston University, late nineties. Yeah. Uh, that that's when I really started <clears throat> freshman year, sophomore year. To uh, I just ingested a lot of psychedelics, and uh, yeah. I remember this one night. I I was just it was a bad trip. You know, it was oh, yeah. it was good for like ten minutes. It was like the yeah. most incredible visuals I ever had. And then, yeah. and then I went into the loony bin, and I thought my parents spent all this money. I'm going to the loony bin. I'm done. Like <laughs> you know, and and I'm in yeah. Warren Towers. This like very like oh, very. Yeah almost like psychedelic uh, incarceration facility, you know, like, and, it, oh, and yeah. uh, I listened to, to the studio version of Valerie on a run for the roses about oh, nice. 700 times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's still, it was, a, and it, it was like a profound yeah. experience. Yeah. Have you, did, can you I talk about it. a bad trip? I had, I had a lot of those. Um, probably the, like the, the sort of like, there was numerous ones, but, like one of the worst sort of most embarrassing ones was uh i come back from traveling and uh just sort of like wasn't really planning and ended up taking some acid from my roommate and hanging out and I, we went to um actually you know we, we went to go see uh, a reunion of the 50 foot hose you ever hear of the psychedelic band the 50 foot hose i gotta send you my first interview with dan healy who who was not oh. who, who he produced that record yeah 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 it's a crazy record. dude that we could spend out i cannot believe you just said that freaking record man what gets weirder like the first time i uh the first weekend i took acid uh was like a on a halloween weekend and I ended up at a Halloween party at Cork's house. Cork, the guy that's like the yes, man. yes. He, he had all these installations in his house that were like you. You hung with that cat? Yeah. I, oh I my god. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I got to get wait. Hold on, Corky. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. During that time, so it says Cork. I'm just going to read this to you, and then you can riff as long as you yeah. want. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Mercury Records signed Corky and David Blossom. Was that cat still around? I don't know about David Blossom. As the as the fifty yeah. foot hose to do an album. They yeah. asked me if they asked me if I'd like to jump in. Being a like minded freak myself, I said, sure, let's see what we can do. We went in and recorded the album at Columbus Recording, which was yeah. in the Flat Iron Building on Columbus and Kearney. It was owned by the Kingston Trio, and in the basement of this twelve story building was a recording studio. It was a really great sounding studio. It had a fully ba balanced Langevin console. The monitor speakers were 604s, and it was the first studio in town to have an eight-track tape. Most of the stuff I did for Mercury, I recorded there because the sound was so good. That and then 50-foot hose, dude. <laughs> wait, how did wait, how did you meet that cat? Um, 
because uh, my roommate who had given me that acid, he had a buddy named Altered Walter, who's also in the theremin documentary. <laughs> and he would build his own instruments and he convinced Pork uh, and 50 Foot Hose to come back together. And then I worked at a sign shop where one of the dudes, the younger dudes that sort of like came in and played guitar in that band, I I worked with him and, uh, you know, and he worked together. Quirk had a, um, he ba he did like architectural um, sculpture for sure. different buildings all over the United States. And um, so I, I worked for a, a guy that worked for him, like just kind of like grinding out a lot of aluminum and doing some different uh, like industrial work. But he did a lot of neon stuff too, but that was years later. Um, but it was through my roommate. I just was tag along with my roommate, Hippie Dave, R.I.P. Uh, <laughs> hold on, you wait, were you wait, he was doing this work or you were collaborating with him on this? I was doing that work. This happened late years later, and I oh I finally god. I put it together. I was like, Oh my god, this is the same quirk as fifty foot hose and oh I was my job working for him. But this is like early on when I first moved to San Francisco that I ended up in Cork's house as uh because he would throw he would have like an open house Halloween party and throughout the house, he made all these sculptures that were, they were sort of like biometric based, but like old school mechanical stuff that would have, like you would step on a pedal and there would be like these long metal chains that you couldn't see in the dark and a spark, it was all this kind of Tesla stuff. A spark would kind of climb up these chains and then like light up a, <laughs> oh, a ball up, it. and then, like the whole house was just filled with that. There was like no, I don't remember any furniture or anything. And, Get and there, out of here, dude! Wait, what? What were years? What is this? Ninety two? Yeah, around there, ninety three, maybe. Oh my god, uh, dude! I, I this is the most psychedelic thing I've ever heard in my life, dude. It was great. It was like the first time I was an acid. I was dressed as Superman, and I would I just stayed in costume for like days. And what's weird is uh, I was parking cars uh, in downtown San Francisco. I just stayed in my in my uh, Superman costume and uh, was still. Wait, how many days did like, you stay in the Superman costume for? That is least, the greatest story I've ever heard in my life. At least three or four days. Absolutely, you were euphoric, dude. I mean, this is yeah, that's was, so was a, beyond, dude. It was a great weekend, and uh, what's weird is uh, I had met this woman uh, at this grocery store nearby the. Um, the place where I was parking cars and we had lunch together. She was dressed as Catwoman, And the only time we ever hung out, we never actually dated, but like we had lunch together and someone took a <laughs> photo of us. And years later, my, one of my roommates was in the mayor's office of San Francisco, like doing like some political work when it was, um, Willie Brown was the mayor. Sure. And, and somebody had, they, they had commissioned a series of photos based on this person's, like uh photographs of paintings and there was a giant painting in the mayor's office of me dressed as superman i have it around somewhere uh, sitting next to catwoman like eating tacos <laughs> that was from that weekend that one you know when i first took acid for the you know first time um and, and that was like eight or ten years later when that painting resurface it was one of those weird synchronicities of LSD. no there's no i don't know that's beyond synchronicity man that's a complete freaking i mean that's terminator kind of shit right there uh, yeah, i don't even know how to say that man that seems <laughs> it, it was pretty nutty was dude funny. i don't even know where to go from i mean you went to never ever land on me man i, I want to i actually want to circle back to your original yeah, please about the um sort of the lsd factor and the um uh paul horn book that i'm working on right now mm -hmm. um because it has a tucson connection and an arthur vent connection beautiful um, arthur vent being the drummer uh that you know well that has a you know he's got a whole club going on in tucson uh great guy and he was a drummer for a time and my brother zeph's um you know various band lineups that he had that would play skinny dennis and stuff and um he actually put me in contact, Arthur did, with um, Robin Horn, who taught at the University of Arizona, who's the drummer and son of Paul Horn, and who toured with him for years. Uh, so I could get permission to sort of retell their story because his sons are in it as part of this story. And, I, you know, it's a, it's a lot of fact with a little bit of fictionalizing it to make it more kid friendly. Um, but tell, it me, actually, tell me, I want to know, this is really important. Tell me, tell me about one example of be making a kid friendly. 
<laughs> well, so so the overall story is is Paul Horn moves to British Columbia, and he moves right down the street from this place called Sealand, which uh, at the time was a <laughs> uh, you know was a um, like an outdoor aquarium that had killer whales, and a guy that was studying the um, the whales, uh, his name is also Paul. And I'm going to blank out on his name right now. I'll, I'll come. I'll, it'll come to me. It's fine. You got it. You got it. Um, so this other Paul is doing experiments with the whales. And, and he got into some trouble. He's a scientist and a cetologist. Or I think that's how you say it. A cetologist. Um, I think originally from like New Zealand or something. And he was sort of, um, he was doing the, what you call a thing with the dolphins. Like he was taking acid and trying <laughs> to communicate with the killer whales because you realize how like they're incredibly intelligent I mean, there's not a, there's not a scientific name for that right taking psychedelics <laughs> and trying to keep you game with whales <laughs> well he 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 led a uh he had a he led a talk on it um to wow. other uh, marine biologists Holy and shit it kind of blackballed himself to end up at this other job like yeah you know, it, it caused a shit show <laughs> but he was <laughs> He was studying um, these two whales um, at Sealand and like he realized that like they responded very differently to different kinds of music. And, he, you know, he was doing all this, uh, you know, like recordings with them and stuff to try to talk to them and see if he could, you know, have a mind meld with them. I don't know that he was given LSD. He's still alive. Um, LSD to the uh, whales or not, but he was definitely taking it sometimes just to sort of, you know, get dialed in with with them and stuff. And have this very intimate, like close friendship with these whales. Well, he gets Paul Horn to come and play his flute because he lives down the street to these whales and they develop a relationship. Um, and what's interesting is that one of the whales dies and this is part of the book, but I, I kind of smooth over it, but the bigger male whale kills the female whale because they shouldn't be in captivity and they just get randy after a while and they just get violent and stuff. Uh -huh. But Paul Horn, after he was on tour, he comes back and the whale feels bad that it killed its mate and friend and it refuses to eat. And he comes back every day and plays flute with it and finally cheer gets it out of its depression enough uh, in order to get it to feed again and ke keeps it alive. So Dude, this is so freaking beautiful. This is unbelievable. I cannot believe you just did that. So that's a real, yeah. that's the main story. And at the time, I think his kids were teenagers. And so they were around. So what I did to sort of make the story a little more kid friendly is that I had the kids younger and it's just like Paul Horn is a dad who's taken his kids to Sealand because they love to see the whales and, you know, seals and all that stuff. And the kids are the one in the, in the sort of fictionalized story. They encourage him because, you know, Paul Horn in his own autobiography mentions this whole escapade and how afraid he was of the whales. So I have the kids be sort of like, you know, they're like the Greek chorus where they help him to like overcome his fear of the whale. So he brings his flute and plays and the kids dance and that it, it becomes part of the developing relationship between the whales and Paul Horn. So that part of it is fictionalized. And that's why I wanted sort of Robin and his brother. I, I wanted them to sort of, you know, okay it. Um, but the rest of it is like straight up facts. Um, and the other Paul um, went on to, you know, what he realized from all that stuff is that these, you know, these whales are far too intelligent to be in captivity and they never should. And see, he helped start the Save the Whales movement and he studies um, killer whales, uh, orcas uh, from something called Orca Lab. Uh, it's just like on Hanson Island, like farther up. Um, sure. Yeah. And he studies them in the wild because he, his uh, his lab with all its sound equipment uh, and they have all these cameras set up is right where they go to breed or like when they have young ones and they kind of come out and hang out. Um, so they've been studying them since then in the wild um, and recording them and, and, you know, just trying to measure all, all kinds of uh, scientific data on orcas um, and fighting for them to, you know, not be in captivity anymore which you know it's down to only a few a few that are at you know sea world or whatever and i think there's some in china and stuff too but i'm sure there's some in china no i was gonna say that like i thought for a hot minute that the, ch the child-friendly thing was that he <laughs> was that he gave the whale an appetite again 
that <laughs> but that's real you're saying that's no, real that, no that, that actually really happened that yeah. is really that is doc i, I you have just happened. i'm gone yeah. again dude i'm gone yeah. I'm, it's, that's insane so um you i just want you to talk a little bit about like some of the recent ex, escapades of uh zachariah whore in the sense of um do you feel like there's a, a place and if there was would you be willing to take to do to do readings or to put this into a public live environment i mean you know i see zeph on the bandstand obviously yeah. everybody everybody's comfortable you know when they go out as a group you know garcia hated yeah. to you know he he could do it only because the other guys were out there and right. i just wonder like if you think about that idea of putting it into the public sphere in a in like an improv in a, in a live setting well um i mean i'm just starting this book now but um you know, I mean, it gets put out to everybody in the form of a book. And then um, I do a lot of school visits to kids and I read these books aloud to them and I do drawings and I, you know, I have a lot of, you know, kids come up and have them do drawings. And we talk about, you know, behind the scenes things of the books and I show them sort of process. So I do do a lot of that with with any book that I put out. Um, that's kind of part of the program. Oh, I dig. Okay. I'm really, so tell me a little about these two, these are like almost like Grateful Dead tours. You know, you go to these different schools, you go on like a two week run, dude. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> you go in West Virginia, Cincinnati. I mean, are, are, what I'm saying is like, what it's, it's, go, yeah, is, is, is it regional or is it like, is it like some sort of like Midwest run? It's all over the place. Um, I, I, you know, I, I was just up in um, up in Buffalo for a couple of weeks. Up like, in Buffalo, in yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's rarely, you know, it's rarely glamorous places, but it's always interesting towns that I, I never would have discovered otherwise. Like, you know, anywhere from Indianapolis to Houston to San Francisco to, you know, everywhere and anywhere. Uh, I mean, I do, I live in Pennsylvania, so... You know, when people see in my bio that, you know, I'm, I live in Pennsylvania, I definitely get a lot of, um, you know, Pennsylvania area schools and Pittsburgh schools and Philly schools and, you uh -huh. know, New York and, that, you know, New Jersey, like this area. I do do a lot uh, of places that I can just, you know, drive to. But it's, yeah, it's all over the place. I, I, I went to Saudi Arabia uh, in 2019. Or 2018 or 2019? Dude, that's yeah. that's brave, man. That was weird. That was yeah. weird. <laughs> Why was it weird? It was weird. It was weird. I mean, I, I wouldn't recommend it. I mean, the school that I went to. <laughs> Go uh, ahead. And I, there's a reason why. I think I don't think I was the first person. I think they were desperate to find someone, and and I was like the first person that was like willing to go because. Um, well, I mean, it sounds. I mean, like you know, it's I think it's Saudi Arabia. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean? exactly. Like, it's no joke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially but, now, especially now, you know. But the school system that's there and super nice people, a lot of, you know, people from the States and people from England, it's an international school. And there's a whole circuit of international schools. And, you know, like you can go anywhere in the world, Shanghai or wherever. And there's one of these schools. So, like, once you get in there and if you're if you do a good job and the people like you, those teachers, they they move around with their families to different countries in the world mm. to teach, um, you know, and, and to have that experience of living in different parts of the world. Um, so all the people who were there were only sort of temporarily doing Saudi Arabia and they were going to go to other outposts. So my idea was like, all right, I'll do Saudi Arabia. It'll be just a weird, interesting place to go to. And, you know, hopefully I'll get into the circuit of going to, you know, having options to go all these other like great international cities to do other right you know, India and stuff and um but then COVID happened right after and that kind of like you know sort of put the kibosh on that but but I was there for two weeks in like a like a compound um that was part of the this university of uh King Abdullah I forget the full name of it but it's this like science and tech um mm -hmm. uh, university campus that's um I it's like maybe 45 minutes north of um uh i think Riyadh is the other town and um and you know so we went into Riyadh a few times but you know you're like inside you know like a heavily armed compound that has a university and banks and stores and restaurants inside it and all these all the housing for these people that you know do the school or whatever um so you're kind of isolated in the desert in this you know weird um university space that's guarded by guys and machine guns um Whoa. so it, it was you know, it was interesting and you know like 
I had to be careful, you know, taking pictures. You can't take pictures of women, you know, um, even with their permission, but it's not really allowed, even though they're like, you know, fully covered and stuff. Uh, you know, like teachers that were like, you know, doing stuff with the kids. I had to be careful if I, you know, taking pictures and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, heavy, heavy duty security coming in and out of there. So, you know, so it, it's taken me, doing the book thing has taken me to some interesting places. That's for sure. Um, that is <laughs> remarkable. Uh, this is really, I, I need you to be, you can, you know, you're not, an, you're not an egomaniac by any means. And so. I, uh, when, like, as you get used to doing the domestic, uh, circuits, what yeah. is it that fuzzy town, uh, is you, what, what is, are, why are they willing to covet you? <laughs> I have no idea. No, no, no. Don't say that because you know why? I mean, dude, you have reached a point that I think funny, my, the late great Neil Casal popped into my mind because everybody saw Neil and looked at his career and said yeah. that guy that guy has it made yeah okay yeah, totally. and i look at you and i'm like you know i mean dude we all live life you know it is what yeah, it is yeah, yeah. but like in your craft yeah you're you you're on the glide path so i mean the point is that neil was being he was growing his brand and there was yeah. a reason why uh and so i'm just curious like they wouldn't just solic- i mean in education today with the budgets that they have they're yeah. not going to solicit somebody unless they're bringing something unique. I don't care if you light your hair on fire. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, that's what's great about, you know, I mean, it's not unlike having an album out there. Like having these books out there is, you know, an extension of yourself out into the world. And then like people really like that book or whatever. And then, you know, the book, the books like the you know the works of i think they're works of art um just like a, a record or something they take a life of their own you know and you don't really know where that's going to go they're like there's no no one can, can can predict it like publishers can't predict it um and you don't know who's gonna who it's gonna resonate with and what you know what's going to come of that and it, it might be you know it's like a you know, it's like a letter in a bottle on the, the old island, you know, New York. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, put it out there. You, you don't know where it's going to go. And then, like, maybe years right. later, that thing lands on shore to someone. And, you know, and then um, they get back to you. And it can be a, a life-changing experience. Um, so I, I just feel lucky that anyone cares at all, honestly. Um, and I, I mean, are, I, you throwing, are you throwing a message in a bottle on every <laughs> – like, what I'm saying is it's different for every uh, school system. I mean, is it is that the kind of story it is? or Because I feel like ultimately once the bottle reaches shore, when they take the note out, there has to be something yeah. salient within the content for them to say, so. oh, yeah, yeah, let me – no, I mean, I think it's – what I'm saying is like, is it like, do you like do like in the moment drawing? Like I, I'm curious about like – um, what, oh yeah, you, yeah. Like, what what is your superhero talent? You know, I mean, you wore that cape. This you wore <laughs> Superman for four straight days, man. <laughs> um, you know, I I think I mean the stories that I do, and I, like I I I struggle that I'm I just constantly repeating myself. And even mm-hmm. if I don't think I am, I'm like, oh man, this is another crappy version of a Joseph Campbell hero story. I, like they're all sort of like little hero quests with you know cute cute animals um who you know are sort of forced from their home and you know run into some kind of trouble and they have to sort of you know go on a quest and find their thing and and then you know it it takes them down a a, a what seems like a solution that's not and then finally they you know find the light and you know come back and everything's cool and everyone can go to bed (laughs) which ultimately (laughs) It's like that's what those books are for. You're like, absolutely, how dude. How can I make a book to make kids go to bed? <laughs> but oh, that, what I try to do in making those books is, you know, like kind of like the Pixar effect. Like, there's two layers of the book, right? Like, there's the kid audience, and then there's the parent audience because a lot of these kids can't read yet. So, you want to appeal to both. So, I, I'm always trying to insert funny stuff to entertain a, a the parent who has to read it a hundred billion times, and then, um and just give a like a honest little adventure um for kids that's fun that is um that's true and doesn't treat them like um second class citizens like kids are a lot more intelligent and smarter and intuitive than we give them credit for 
and I try to honor that. Yeah. Well, that's why that's why in 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 whale song the kids hip the father to getting the appetite for the whale back, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, you know the wisdom the wisdom comes from the children. You know, I know. Yeah, sometimes it's. Just, I mean, you know, I mean, not all the time, but then also you see things that you did for them manifest in something greater for them. And that is unquantifiable stuff too. I, I just yeah. feel like um, you okay. definitely want them to also be able to go to sleep at night. You don't want any horrors. I'm waiting for the really yeah. the, horror, the the fuzzy town horror story. You know, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I think I think kids also have a, a like I, I constantly try to um, try to squeeze in some death in these stories, which mm. is very difficult to do. You know, like traditional kid stories you know obviously of the german variety the grim brothers and you know whatever um are you know often like macabre you know heavy stories you know obviously if you go back to you know sort of tribal you know oral tradition storytelling you know you know kids had to grow up fast and you know if you're if you're living in the wilderness or jungle or whatever else it's like you know uh doing the wrong thing could actually be a life and death consequence so mm. as a consequence of that you know the stories you know that you hear are you know heavy stories of like look if you don't do this you're gonna die you know or whatever and absolutely in those, you know, in those cases the, the, those were important messages to keep kids alive um but i, I still think that message is important because like obviously that's that's the ultimate reality and i, I think that you know, um, particularly in American culture, but definitely Western culture, we're, you know, death averse and it's everything is trying to pretend it's not happening. And so I try, I'm trying to squeeze little bits of that in there, but that's a very difficult thing to do. That's sort of like an ongoing project to not, not just to be like Edward Gorey, uh, you know, macabre for the sake of macabre, although that's fun and there's some humor in that. Um, but also just to introduce, um, that that's the deal, you know, um, to start thinking about it, you know? No, I, I also, I mean, I think you do a really effective job. I mean, how do you navigate the waters of, uh, uh, you know, in our, in our day, that word PC politically correct came up in the nineties, Bob Dole, Gingrich, Clinton kind of sure. thing. And it's turned into different, you know, names and things like that. But I mean, yeah. to me, like you're really walking a fine line between compromising who you really are, what your beliefs are versus some of this. How do you, how, has that come into play in terms of like, how do you navigate sort of the, um, the really <laughs> shrill culture? Uh, uh, that, that, I, yeah. It's tricky. I, I don't, I, you know, it's a day-to-day navigation. <laughs> day-to-day navigation. <laughs> Holy yeah. cow, I, that's the best line I've heard so far, dude. <laughs> you know what, man? But so I, you've but you've learned to cultivate an ability to stay. How delicate a dance is that? Well, I mean, there's definitely stuff that I, I don't put on my Instagram because in case there's like teachers and. Right. Know, well, of course. Yeah. Show my Instagram. Like there is a professional, you know, face side of what we do. There is like a weird thing where like people sort of have this idea of like people who write books for kids or make things for kids that like somehow, you know, we're arrested development, like children ourselves and we're so childlike and innocent. And that's how we're able to tell these stories or whatever. It's like, it's a, it's actually the opposite. Exactly. <laughs> um, so exactly. Of course, you know, like there is a professional public face that you have to have, but also I try to um, be honest about like who I am. In, in interfacing with all the people on those levels. Cause it's like, what you see is what you get, you know, um, what you can get away with in a, in a publication is its own thing, but um, I'm not going to pretend to, you know, be anything that, that I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, that's just, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not good at that. Dude. That's why, the, that's why the O'Hora Feinberg connection is so deep because there's just <laughs> no way other than to just be who you are. And then in your case, doing the being tactful enough and graceful enough to get your point across about how you feel. Uh, and even if people al feel alienated or pissed off, they would still respect you, you know, that respect where you're coming from. And I, I feel like I that's really, so. I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm definitely finally getting into more of an area where I'm exploring some of that stuff more explicitly. Really? Um, you know, like the, the Paul Horn thing, like, 
we haven't figured out what the other books in the series are going to be, but um, mm-hmm. I'm hoping I might, the next one I might do is on uh, Suzanne uh, Chiani, the, uh, the Bukla playing like godmother oh, wow. of uh, electronic music. That's for like, set three. That's going to be set three for us. <laughs> well, all, <laughs> that's all I want to say is that like, there's things now that I'm, uh, I'm more explicitly sort of inserting my lifelong interest into things that have a kid friendly format that things things i just find are interesting that i think like some other weirdo kid is going to find interesting and you know we'll leave them on their own path you know well, hold on a second this is really important uh with this tell me the name of this other book you just mentioned well it doesn't exist i don't know i don't know if it's going to happen i'm just no, no, it will happen no because we're talking about it it's going to birth very it's going <laughs> to continue to go no here's the thing that the can you get, just talk about an uh a zachariah ohora life imprint uh or some hobby or passion you had that you want to that you're putting down in this in this at this point uh fictional fictional thing well i mean the one that's like come full circle that's sort of like the 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 largest project on my mind right now is um i i just signed on uh to do my first graphic novel that um i've done pieces of it online and it's 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 whoa it's dude whoa oh but it's it's called fundy sort of um uh, short for fundamentalist and it's surviving my you know uh my childhood uh fundamentalist upbringing in the age of the apocalypse and it's um it's gonna be like a 200 page uh graphic novel with cool animals and stuff of sort of my adolescence of um age 13 to maybe fifth like about two years like junior high um, but it's going to be like a YA graphic novel, and it's going to tackle all the end times, apocalypse, dread, you know, fear of the mark of the beast, rapture, and all the weirdness of my childhood in uh, in one friendly package. <laughs> dude, you yeah. just blew, dude. I could. I mean, I so wish we had. Really, I wish we had more time. Really, this is like you just blew me open, man. Like I, I really, it's funny, man. Like I came from the absolute opposite end of the spectrum from from you guys and i feel like it's so i'm so humbled because i know you're going to try to turn this thing into something that's inspiring put their kid on their own on on their own path and i think that that's what life is about but man i uh i really am humbled that you uh went through had had to persevere through that and came out as strong as you did um i give you a lot of a lot of credit for it and i feel in some way and i love my parents to death dearly you know forever but um i feel like some of those apocalyptic challenges like put you where you're at today and uh well that that's the interesting weird thing i think it's interesting that you came from an opposite child totally opposite but that you obviously you have a um you know, as we all do, whether it's suppressed or not, we have a spiritual antenna. Um, right. But I also think that, you, like, something that I've, you know, with enough time, like, I was very angry about all that stuff that we grew up with and bitter and, you know, from the whole spectrum of, like, being a kid and believing it and, and thinking that I was born too late and the world was ending any day to just, like, the having to you know go through that and just wanting a normal childhood and then enough years go by there's also part of me that recognizes i'm like that sort of like low level ptsd suffering is actually gave me something to work with uh from our perspective and it's Mm. kind of it's weird that like this sort of uncomfortable suffering that you go through in life is actually the thing that makes you interesting without it you know, and it can be all different things. Like, every, you know, everyone has their own childhood. And so, like, the, the hardest thing that's ever happened to you is the hardest thing that's ever happened to you. No, no, so dude, you said, you said, you said, you said, without it, and then I'm going to finish the sentence, what are you really? You know, no, without, that's, without, that's, you know, what are you? You know, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that that's such a, like, a weird, um, you know. Well, it's also like a place for us to, for us to be talking about it. But, like, it's, it, people have to be have have to be vulnerable enough to to acknowledge that that's the case if there's denialism and i think that that's why the books are important especially for kids who oftentimes grow up in households that are pretty repressive for them to yeah. be able to at least see some light yeah. 
you know, yeah. and the uh, you know that is to me what That's it's important. Yeah. Explain, explain just quickly the uh, how it, that adversity impacted your artistic point of view. Well, <clears throat> I think I mean some of it. We weren't allowed to have radio or TV or movies and you know all that kind. Of, a little bit later, I'm I'm a, I'm the oldest of the five kids, so my version of our childhood, even though there's a lot of overlap, is a bit different than my brother Zeph's because there's a ten year span, and you know, like my parents are human and they they changed who they were, but um, but the most intensive era of them converting and and locking our lives down to sort of a us and them, us against the world sort of um, scenario sort of happened when I was like five or six um, and, you know, kind of stuck with me further. But I um, I kind of actually forgot what your, what your question was. No, no, first of all, you said something else. Like, well, this is the more important thing. What do you remember before five or six years old about how, how before it was us against them? Was it a, was there more harmony? Um, I don't know that there was like personal harmony within my family. My my parents were young and, you know, had, had their issues and didn't have money. We were on food stamps and, uh, you know, the, the church that my mom found, they stepped in, like did in the beginning, like did really good church stuff. Like they were bringing bags of food to feed us or we would have had no food and putting clothes on our backs and got my dad a job and, you know, like did those things that you sort of think that, um, you know, like a true church would sort of um, exactly, be totally you know? moral, moral dignity, beautiful stuff. Yeah, easing suffering. You know, whatever it is. No, the what I was going to say is so when the question was once you got past that, how did it impact your, you know, sort um, of you said it impacted your artistic, your art. Yeah, I mean, it, it informs it, it informs my decisions to you know fight against it. Um, um, but, you know, on the plus side, I feel like um, going through that, at least there was a basis for sort of understanding that like, all right, you know, we have our physical selves or, you know, there's a reductionist view of life that, you know, this is all there is. And if you can't, if you can't prove it, you know, that it doesn't exist sort of thing. And then there's higher levels of thinking of, you know, your mental and psychological. And then there's a spiritual uh, identity that we all have, whether, you know, whether we keep it dormant or not, it's just like going to the gym, you gotta, um, you gotta work on the spiritual side. And it, at least, um, even though I didn't agree with how I grew up and I think it was wrong in a lot of ways, it did open that door. And right. I'm, thankful, I'm thankful for that. Like getting away from it all and, and being like, okay. And then, you know, taking psychedelics and like experiencing, you know, definitely other realities, you know, um, and seeing like, all right, there's a lot more to rea reality, whatever that is, than like, you know, what we can see with our, you know, touch with our five senses. And, you know, music does that, you know, the arts do that and psychedelics definitely do that. And, um, you know, obviously there's other past meditation and th those kind of disciplines. Um, but it, at least all of it sort of like opened me up to, um, sort of you know asking the big questions and and pondering them and um not just thinking about shopping at the mall you know what i mean like dude you I'm made a you made a live you made a livelihood out of it man it's a really powerful statement it's really uh, powerful shit that is like very lucky having a good partner who like you Absolutely. know my wife lydia like there was a lot of years there i didn't go to school until much later and it was a lot of years where I was struggling to sort of like find my voice in the illustration world. And she was bringing home the bacon and allowing me space to figure it out. And it took me like a decade to figure it out. It wasn't like overnight. Um, right. But she, you know, she's, she, she's on the journey. She's part of the divine path. And it was all, what I'm saying sure. is it's just, you know, you can see it manifesting. Uh, okay. I'm, I, just I'm, saying, I'm just saying it's not just me. A absolutely. <laughs> no, no, no. Dig, yeah. man. I dig. Yeah, I was gonna say October fifth. I hope you're not in Youngstown, Ohio, or Detroit, Michigan, because Mapache is coming into Johnny and Brenda's. That we gotta hang that yeah. night if you're oh, around. Yeah. That. We're gonna have. We're gonna take the Are roof off that place. I'm Are in, baby. Here? I'm flying in, man. Oh, sweet. I I just saw that listed on their site, and I was like, oh, it'll be nice to see those guys again. Yo, uh, dude, we're gonna take the uh, roof off. It's gonna be an honor to meet you, man. I, I would love that myself. That'd be great. Are you doing any uh, shred shred tour? Uh... 
I'm doing uh I'm doing uh they got Pappy and Harriet's in on this side of town, but I know yeah, that yeah. not not the what are you where are you going on the east side? Um I'll definitely see them here in Philly. They're like, gonna be playing in my backyard at the Ardmore Music Hall, I think, on September 9th. Dude, you got that's a great venue too. Wait, hold on. They're, they're playing they're playing Philly too, or they're playing Ardmore? Um that's their Philly stop, yeah. which is actually Ardmore, but um and I think there's a Capitol Theater one the next night i'm gonna try to get yeah you up. can't miss that dude yeah are you, are you, are you i can't do it i mean that i mean listen actually i'll be honest with you i, I just passed the five-year anniversary of my connection with grateful shred because it totally changed my professional trajectory completely it was cosmic really? and I'll, I'll tell you one day about that but oh. um so i connected them on the with the west coast and the capitol theater has always felt to me yeah. um like it's Phil's place. It's an yeah. East Coast place. I don't have any spiritual connection to it. So while I'm psyched for them, it's not yeah. enough for me to travel out. You know, but 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 uh, yeah. you know what I'm saying. But, but still, for Zeph, I mean, the point is that the, like yeah. I think through it all, you know, because it's so insane that uh, you know the current costs of just renting a bus oh, yeah. or like oh, yeah. bringing yeah. enough merch to sell. Like to me, like the fact that they played the catalyst in Santa Cruz is one yeah. of the baddest freaking things That's ever. Awesome. So yeah, you they, can hang on to that. They played, uh, they played the grand American musical. I was going to try. Oh, exactly. To no, there's tons of stuff. Thing. And this man. is another, and this is another one. So to me, like yeah, yeah. it's all part of this big plan, man. So Zachariah, man, it was so good to hear your voice, man. I had a freaking yeah. ball, man. Appreciate it, man. I, I really appreciate what you're doing and uh, I've been enjoying your shows and thanks for having me on. It's an honor. Yeah, man. I'll see you in October, baby. We'll talk before then. Definitely. All right, dude. All right, Be man. cool, man. All right. Peace. Later.